The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Episode 105, baby. Thank you for joining us. I'm in a good mood, kind of, sort of. Last couple weeks, I've been saying I've been in a good mood when the Canes have won my favorite team, the greatest college ever, the University of Miami Hurricanes. Their football team has won the last couple weeks, and I've always been really happy that they've won, and I'm happy again this week because the Canes indeed won again. We're still undefeated, baby. We're still a top 10 program. We still got a shot at the college football playoff. How exciting is that? Except my enthusiasm is tempered, as well it should be, because yes, we did win, but we barely beat a very bad, a catastrophically bad, a sacrilegiously bad UNC team. That UNC, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill team, not very good. I think they have one win this season against a college I've never heard of, and the rest of the games have been losses, and we barely squeaked out a victory there. And on one hand, I want to be like, hey, man, a W's a W, go Canes. You know, you take your wins when you get them, especially on the road. But on the other hand, I'm like, oh, my God, we did not look good against a very bad team. And now we got to play Virginia Tech, who's really good. And then we got to play Notre Dame that's really good. Yeah, that Notre Dame. And I'm a little worried. But, but, but I'm going to stay in a good mood. I'm going to stay enthusiastic because... A win's a win, man, and it gives me the motivation I need to be excited talking about music business stuff with all of you, the listeners I love. And of course, uh, I do very much miss our co-host Dave, though. Dave's on his way to New Jersey. He has reported to me that he is in high spirits. He's uh, moved up there. He's getting settled, and he's super, super happy, and he misses all of you just as we all miss him. And But we're keeping the podcast moving, and if Dave's ever around in the area, we'll of course have him sit in. You know, He's always welcome at this podcast because we love Dave. But in the meantime, it is a solo show, but uh, I'm never truly solo because I got all of you supporting me. And we're going to keep Dave around a little bit. I think that John Ratzenberger commercial he does at the end of segment two of our podcast, I'm going to keep that there for at least a little while longer so we can all... Enjoy it and remember the wonderful Dave moments that we've all come to enjoy. But in the meantime, I got you all here with me, so I'm feeling terrific. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Those rates, reviews, those subscriptions, subscriptions <laughs> they're great, and we really need them, and they help us move things forward. You can email the podcast at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. I really do read every email. If you email me, you know I write you back. And when you email me, you can propose show questions that you want us to answer on the show. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, either in the world of music business or moving your career forward as an indie artist or pop culture, whatever you want us to talk about on the program, uh, you can email us, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ryan, K-A-I-R. I love me the Twitter. It's my favorite social media platform, and I love interacting with uh, listeners on Twitter. So again, I'm at Ryan, K-A-I-R, that's my first name and the first four letters of my last name. And you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com 
slash break the business. Our guest this week, so excited to talk to the glass child. Her real name, Charlotte Erickson. Charlotte, a fantastic indie artist. She's currently touring Germany and the UK right now. She's got a new EP out called Coming Home. It is a fantastic listen. Honestly, you got to check her out. And we're going to talk to her in the next segment all about how she created her own record label to release her music and And more than anything else, I just want to talk to her about her story. From what I've been reading about her, it's kind of an amazing story. She moved from Sweden to the UK at the age of 18 to start her music career. Didn't have any money, didn't have any resources, didn't have any connections. Started from zero, was living homeless a lot of days, sleeping on the streets, but hustled and worked hard, found herself some success, and now she's making lots of great music and she's traveling the world performing How can you not be inspired by that? And more importantly, how can you not learn from her experience? Because that's what we're going to do in the next segment. We're going to talk to her about her story, and we're all going to learn some great advice from her about how to overcome adversity, how to start from nothing and build a music career, as I imagine many of you listeners are trying to do. We're going to draw a lot of great insight from her. I am excited to talk to her in the next segment. But before we bring our guest in, a couple things I want to chat with you guys about. First, let's follow up a little bit on the Serge Tonkin seven-note challenge that we discussed last week. We talked a little bit about this last week, and I kind of want to talk about it some more because I love everything about this song contest, and I want our podcast community to get involved with this, man. I think that this this has so much potential for our community, and I want and and honestly, I would love for somebody in, in our podcasting community, one of our listeners to win this contest. How cool would that be? In case you missed the show last week, I'll talk a little bit about how this contest works. Again, this is from Serge Tonkin. You know him from System of a Down. He's created a cool song contest, and there are only two rules for Serge's contest. The first, the song has to be under three minutes. That's rule number one, three-minute song or less. And second, and this is the tricky part of the contest, because getting a song under three minutes, that's no problem. Here's the tricky part. The song must start with a specific sequence of seven notes. But other than that, other than those two rules, other than under three minutes, and you must start with a specific sequence of seven notes, which you can find at SergeTonkinChallenge.com, there's no other rules for this. And you can do whatever you want with the song. You can play it in any genre, any tempo, any kind of chord progression you want to do. Whatever you want to do with this song, as long as you follow those two rules, you're golden, man. But let me play the video that Serge himself uh, made kind of explaining the content for or contest for those of you who missed it last week. A lot of people ask me where music comes from. Where do songs come from? I always firmly believe that they come from collective consciousness, um, that they don't necessarily reside within an artist. Every song begins with uh, an idea, a concept, or a sound. The challenge is simple. You've got these seven notes that you have to start with, so your first seven notes of your composition have to be these seven notes. You can make a jazz song, a rock song, symphony, whatever type of music that you want. It can't be longer than three minutes. The rest is up to you. I'm Serge Duncan, and this is my challenge. I'll give you seven notes, you give me your best. And here are the seven notes right here. And that's the whole game, man. You just 
Uh, those are the seven notes. It's a tricky sequence of notes. I'll give you that. The key, as best as I can understand, and again, I'm not a music theory genius by any stretch of the imagination. I'm very much a... Even calling myself a casual musician might require a gift for hyperbole, but uh, as best as I can hear it, the key sounds like C harmonic minor, which is not a standard kind of key. You know, he didn't, he's, <laughs> when he calls this the uh, seven note challenge, uh, he, he definitely, uh, emphasis on the word challenge there. This is not a key like G major or F major, nothing simple like that. It is C harmonic minor as best as I can hear it. Um, and so that's a little tricky, but with a little bit of work. Surely you brilliant musician listeners out there can handle this. And now here's why you should enter in. The winner of this contest, whoever wins the Serge Tonkin Challenge, gets $5,000. Kaching. All you have to do is submit your entry to Serge Tonkin Challenge. That's S-E-R-J-T-A-N-K-I-A-N challenge.com by December 15th. So you got a little bit of time to put a really cool song together and uh, not only would it, you know, it, not only is the money nice, you can do, certainly do a lot with five grand in your pocket, uh, a lot of cool things for your music career there, but just the exposure of winning this thing is probably going to be good for your career. So this might be a fun little thing to do. I would love, love, love for somebody from this podcast community to win this thing. It'd be a win for, for, every, for everybody involved with this podcast, you know, our little community that we've built here. If one of you within the sound of my voice can win this thing, how cool would that be? We would just shower you in all kinds of adulation and honors. We would just, we would get behind you. There'd be a lot of back slapping involved. It would be so cool. And I think this whole thing's a great idea because as we talked about last week, this challenges like this one encourage you to be creative by using constraints. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. We said last week that does seem counterintuitive, but actually using constraints is a great way to make music and to bring out the most creative aspects of your songwriting. Uh, back on episode 86, we talked with a guest named Shawnee Kilgore. She was a songwriter who wrote an EP with Joss Whedon, the Joss Whedon, the movie director, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Firefly, Avengers, all that stuff. And what Shawnee told us back on episode 86 is that she was in a songwriting group, and that group, um, as part of the being in the group, they had to write a new song every week. And I don't mean the whole group did. Every member had to write their own song every week. And if you didn't write the song, you got kicked out. So, you know, that kind of hard schedule kept you moving. And you had to write a song based on a prompt that the group leader would give you each week. And what she told us during that interview is that the having to work with a set prompt and having to deal with some very strong time pressure actually got her creative juices flowing. Uh, you know, kind of narrowing her field instead of just, you know, writing about any topic she wants and having unlimited time to work on it, having a specific prompt and having a narrow time window actually got more creativity out of her and allowed her to create stuff that she wouldn't have otherwise been able to create. And it helped her exercise those creativity muscles. As we've said on this podcast before, creativity is a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger you get, the stronger that creativity muscle gets. And conversely, if you don't use those creativity muscles, those muscles atrophy. We've had guests on this podcast who write a song a week, or even uh, even somebody like Jonathan Mann, who we've talked about on this podcast, writes a new song every day, um, and are always creating new content. And people will often ask, how can somebody create songs every week and still be so creative? 
And the answer to that question is they are, those people are creative because they're writing a song every week. They're constantly working those creativity muscles. They're constantly using constraints to bring out the best work in themselves. And that's kind of what this Serge Tonkin challenge is all about. It's creating constraints on you. It's putting time pressure on you. And it's going to force some great quality work out of you. And so whether you enter in this contest or not, I really encourage you to do it. You should consider the value of using those kind of practices in your own creative work. Join a songwriters cooperative. Join one of these groups that gets you creating work constantly. It's kind of like you're more likely to go to the gym if you have a gym buddy who sort of keeps you honest and keeps you on a schedule than if you just kind of go to the gym yourself. And it's kind of the same thing here with songwriting. So... Look, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage all of our listeners. I want you guys to enter this contest. What can I do? What 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 can I, what can this podcast do to get you interested in this? I want to make this a thing for us. If you are listening to this right now and you're a songwriter, whether you're somebody who's really established and you've made a lot of stuff or you're just getting started, maybe you're writing your first song or doing your first album, ask yourself right now, why couldn't you enter this contest? Why couldn't you win this thing? And I think you could, and I think you should really give this a shot. And I want this podcast to support your efforts. So, I mean, let's think about what, what can we do? What can we do to, to get you guys excited about this? Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this off the bat. If you're willing to enter the contest, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're a supporter of this show and you decide to enter the contest and you want to send the song to this podcast, We'll totally play it on the show and we'll even have you, maybe we'll have you on to talk about it. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll bring your work out to the community. Maybe you can get some feedback for it, but we'll give you a little bit of pub for entering this contest to kind of incentivize you to do it. I have no problem with that. I'll retweet you. I'll, I'll, I'll do, I'll get you a nice bit of exposure for that. Um, absolutely. And what else can we do? Well, well, look, I'm not against having our own mini seven note challenge contest just with our podcast community to just kind of encourage all of you to enter. We can do, you know, we can do some kind of prize even for the best one. So if we want to do that, if we just want to have our mini little Serge Tonkin seven note challenge contest with just our community of listeners, and then maybe we can have a prize for the best one. Um, maybe we can even do something where kind of like what we did for episode 100, where if we have a, if we get a certain number of you listeners to send in your songs, our podcast will donate money, more money to Hurricane Relief. That worked pretty well for episode 100, so I'm willing to do that again. I mean, whatever kind of gets you guys excited about this. Um, how about even doing something where <laughs> if we get enough people from our community to send music into this contest, or maybe we could say, like, if we get, like, three of our listeners to enter this contest and send their songs to this show so we can play it on the show, then I will enter the contest with my own song. And I would totally be willing to do this. And I want you to realize how difficult that would be for me. I am not a songwriter and I am barely a musician. I mean, to, to call me a musician would be like to call somebody who scribbles swear words on bathroom walls an author. Okay. I, I'm a musician in, in the, the most base sense 
of the word. And I, and I haven't really written that many songs at all in my life. And <laughs> if you want an example of my terrible musicianship, go check out episode 50 of this podcast. Uh, the song, I actually played a ukulele song on that episode as kind of a joke, celebrating 50 episodes of our podcast. And you can listen to that and be like, wow, that guy really does not write a lot of songs. And so I, I say all this because I want you to realize how important this is to me to get you guys involved with this contest. And if you, the musician, are willing to take yourself slightly out of your comfort zone by entering this contest, by putting some constraints on your songwriting to bring out more creativity in yourself and to get our community involved in this podcast and maybe give yourself a chance to win five grand from Serge Tonkin, if you're willing to do that, I am willing to go way out of my comfort zone by entering in this contest too. And by, by enter, I mean enter and surely lose, but I'm willing to put myself out there as somebody who's not a songwriter, not a, and barely a musician. If you're willing to put yourself out there and really give this challenge a shot, because I think it could go a long way in moving your career forward. Um, we could also even do something where I bring in a professional songwriter on the podcast, maybe as a guest or something like that, to actually talk specifically about this contest and maybe give you some tips on how to write your seven-note challenge song. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, against doing that. We can bring somebody in who's written a lot of songs who can help you perhaps give you some tips on how to write something in C harmonic minor if that's a little tricky for you, but... Whatever we need to do to give you, to get you kind of moving for this, to to make, to get you, the community, excited about this challenge, because I want to create opportunities for you guys to move your careers forward. Anyway, those are some of the ideas that I was just thinking about. Um, if you think any of them are a good idea, if you have some good ideas of your own to kind of get people excited about this seven note challenge in our podcasting community and to sort of make this a thing for our podcast for the next few weeks up until the December deadline, Email us, breakthebusiness at gmail.com or tweet at me at Ryan K-A-I-R. And I'd love to hear some of your suggestions. Oh my God, do I want somebody from our podcast community to win this thing? How freaking cool would that be? Before we bring in Charlotte Erickson, a.k.a. The Glass Child, I wanted to talk quickly about another project from someone in our podcast community, and that is the work of our episode 97 guest and friend of the podcast, Bill Bolden, a.k.a. DJ Spruik. To catch you guys up, if you don't know who this guy is, if you don't remember him from a previous episode, he's an electronic musician based out of Buffalo, New York, and he does some really creative really unorthodox musical projects. So when he makes an album, it doesn't sound like and doesn't look like and doesn't have the release strategy of anything you would see in traditional music. He breaks all the rules when it comes to traditional music production and music release. And a couple of years ago, Bill put out an album called Music to Die Alone in Space 2. It was an electronic album, but it had a narrative element. It chronicled the story of an astronaut floating through space and as innovative as the story of this album was the release strategy was even more innovative so the way that the music to die alone in space 2 worked is every person who backed spruik's kickstarter for this album got a completely unique copy of the album every person got their own individualized music experience so nobody got the same album every album was like a a musical snowflake the album that he delivered to you was not like the album anybody else got. How cool is that? And apparently the musical community did think it was pretty damn cool because he raised over $25,000 
for that campaign. And it's amazing because he raised $25,000, but only sold about 300 or so copies. But he was able to raise that kind of money because people were willing to pay a premium for that individualized musical experience. That last album of his, that Music to Die Alone in Space 2 album, it broke all the rules for making and releasing albums. And he was able to do that because of the same technological innovations that have happened in the music industry and have happened in the world of you know internet and computers that we talk about on this podcast all the time and that we celebrate on this show. Ten years ago, it would have been unheard of for an artist like Spruik or anybody to make $25,000 and only sell a few hundred albums. You just I mean that would have been unheard of. But Spruik was able to do exactly that with Music to Die Alone in Space 2. And his next project, which we're going to talk about in a bit, is probably going to be even more lucrative for him because it's even more ambitious. But I don't want to lose sight of just what his work represents for all of you as musicians. The old industry was all about mass production. Every customer gets the same piece of art. You sell it for a tiny amount of money. And you could not deliver an individualized experience for every fan and still make a living. You just, you couldn't make the numbers work that way. But now the rules have changed. It's easier and cheaper than ever to make music and distribute that music and to fund that music. And Spruik has used those innovations to do something in music that nobody else has done. And what that lesson, the lesson that you, that should be imparted to all of you when you make your music is if you're just making an EP or an album and you're releasing it the same old way that we've been releasing music for 20 years or hundreds of years or whatever it is, ask yourself, why am I releasing music this way? Why do I have to do things the way everybody else does them? I have more freedom and flexibility than I've ever had in this industry to make music the way I want to make it, to deliver music the way I want to make it, to promote music the way I ever want to make it, Make the most of those innovations the way Spruik has done. And I want to talk now about what he's been doing with those innovations now on his latest project. Uh, back when we had Spruik on in episode 97, he told us a bit about the project that he was working on, but that project was still in its early stages and he didn't have a ton of details for us. And here's what he said about it. The new album takes the form of an open world, open-ended mystery where all the clues are scattered across the hundreds of individual copies of the album I'm going to make. So it's set in the not near but not distant future, the mid future. And you are collecting all this audio and hearing these tapes people made. And on each copy, there are clues being sampled randomly from the tapes, pieces of short stories. Your copy might include over the ambient music somebody saying, get back here or I'll, I'll never see my daughter again. That was before the streets ran red with blood. Something, I don't know. What's gone wrong here? That's all you get. Maybe the next segment of that tape is on a different backer's individual copy. So this is a truly unprecedented kind of storytelling. Everyone is going to need to pool their copies together to reverse engineer out what it is that's gone so horribly wrong, why all the people are gone, what the, the tales are. 
I need to know what happens next to this cliffhanger I heard a piece of on my copy. Someone else has that piece. All that sounds pretty dang intriguing, right? He's doing new stuff. He's pushing the boundaries of what what traditional music production and distribution and funding have been. And um, thankfully now, uh, it's been a few weeks since we had him on back in, oof, I don't know, August, September, whenever it was. And now we have more details. So now you can go to Kickstarter and you want to search for the campaign for his new work called Pieces, A Thousand Albums at the End of America. So that's that's the project that he was talking about in that clip. It's now in Kickstarter form. It's about to be launched, or rather, it's about to be released. The campaign has been launched. And in this new album, America has become a broken and abandoned place. That's the story he's telling us. But the actual specifics of that story, of how America came that way, is scattered across hundreds of albums of original music that Sprug has created. And if you become one of his Kickstarter backers, you can get one of those albums and then join the community of listeners who have the other albums and you can put those albums together and solve the mystery of what caused society's downfall. How cool is that? Not only is Spruik doing things differently, but he's creating art in just the way that the listeners are now coming together. He's creating a community from his listeners and creating a story that all the listeners have to solve together. He's, it's just, and you know, I, I don't mean to say all these things just to kind of celebrate Spruik, although I'm certainly a big fan of what he's doing, but I bring this up because I want you guys to you, exhibit similar kinds of innovative spirit when making your work. Don't feel like you have to follow all the same rules. Don't feel like you have to release music the same way. Think of innovative ways that you can use the fact that Creating, promoting, distributing, and funding your music is easier and cheaper than ever. And don't be afraid to break the rules a little bit. Find some art in just the way you create your music and the way you put your music out there and not just find art in the music itself. Uh, so, so cool. And Spruik's got a lot of cool voiceover artists who are helping out with this project. Friends of our podcast, Evan Lamb and Elisa Melendez, they're contributing. One of my favorite YouTube creators, Mikey Newman from Movies with Mikey. I've talked about his stuff a lot on this podcast. He's contributing to this. I love this guy. And yours truly even contributed some voiceover work to the album. So you can check that out. I, I do a little voiceover and narration here and there. And I, you know, Spruik asked me if I could help him out. I told him I'd be happy to. And so if you actually go on the Kickstarter, Spruik interviews me about my experience working with the project and it was wild. It's so much fun. And let's show this support some love, people. Support Spruik. Let's contribute to this really innovative project. Go to that Kickstarter for pieces, a thousand albums at the end of America and show him some love because he's, he's part of our community and our community. We help each other. You know, we take care of our, our community around here and we'll put a link to the Kickstarter in the show description, show him some love, show him some support. Let's get this thing funded so that uh, we can <laughs> just continue to support uh, boundary breaking artists and I think I'm going to try to get him on the show uh, in the next week or so to talk more about this. He's crazy busy with this Kickstarter right now. As anybody who's been involved in a Kickstarter campaign who started their own campaign knows, that 30-day clock, man, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It is a sprint. And um, so maybe if I can pull, peel him away from that sprint somewhere, maybe in the middle of campaign where things kind of calm down a bit, I'd love for him to come on the show and talk a little bit more about what he's doing 
But either way, it's a great project. It represents a lot of what I love about the new music industry, and we can all get inspired by it. All right, Charlotte Erickson, coming up next, let's listen to The Glass Child on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. She is a musician, author, songwriter, and producer originally from Gothenburg, Sweden, who releases music under the name The Glass Child. She is currently touring Germany and the UK, and her current EP is now available on Spotify, iTunes, and other platforms. You can check her out at her website, charlotteerickson.com, and follow her on Twitter at Just a Glass Child. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlotte Erickson is on the Break the Business podcast. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we are so excited to have you. We've been listening to your music in the studio uh, all morning. It's early where we are. It's later where you are because you're all the way in Europe. And uh, it's it's woken us up. It's like a nice cup of coffee. You, uh, it's, uh, it's just fantastic to listen to. So, Charlotte, let me start out with the question that I'm sure you get as your first question every time you get interviewed. And for that, I'm sorry. <laughs> where did your name, The Glass Child, come from? Yeah, I do get that question. I know, I'm so sorry. (laughs) But it's all good. I'm happy to talk about it. (laughs) Um, The glass chat comes from when I was younger. I was a very guarded and shy and quiet kid. And my my people around me always told me that it was like I was living behind glass. Everyone could see me all the time, but no one really knew me. So that stuck with me. And when I wrote my first song when I was around 14, I wrote about that. And it was called The Glass Child. So um, it just kind of stuck with me and I feel safe behind it, I think. But in many ways, and now I'm going to sort of get you on the psych psychologist couch here for a second in many ways everything you do now as an artist seems kind of the opposite of that you put yourself out there in so many ways you have a you know a lot of music out there you write a ton both books and articles it's like you know everything you're doing is kind of putting yourself out there more as an artist than maybe you did as a child oh yeah definitely I think I have kind of come alive through my music I I feel comfortable when I get to sing and write but I think as maybe Outside of the stage, I am probably quite insecure still. <laughs> now, do you, uh, when you're, when you interact with others, do you keep sort of a, a small circle in your private life, even in your public life? You're kind of getting out there into the world. Oh, I'm definitely an introvert. I'm, I'm uh, a lone wolf. Oh, that's fascinating to hear because I know a lot <laughs> of artists or a lot of people in music or who listen to music must think that all musicians who perform live have to be extroverts because they get out in front of a large crowd. But, you know, a lot of them are very private people like you who can, you know, go in front of a large crowd, but still get their energy from being alone and being in small groups. Mm, yeah, definitely. I actually, I never feel as as comfortable and as strong as when I'm standing on a stage or when I get to sing. But as soon as I am just just me outside of being a songwriter, I, I have a very hard time being around a lot of people. Well, um, I think that can be a very heartening message to a lot of musicians 
out there who think that they have to be, you know, very effervescent in front of others and have to be extroverted to achieve success. And I think what your example shows is that's definitely not the case. <laughs> no, no, just just be yourself. That's always the best. Don't push yourself. That's right. Now, let me, let's talk a little bit about uh, your biography here. You were born in Sweden, but you moved to London when you were very young to start your career. And it was quite the experience for you after about about first moving to London, you wrote, I packed light and spent a year homeless on the road, dedicating my life to my art and music, determined to tell the world about it. I went everywhere and nowhere, spent nights on the concrete, had beautiful conversations with strangers and walked foreign streets every day. Wow. It's like you're a writer or something. <laughs> uh, can you take us to, so let's go back to that year. Take us to like the most difficult days of those early London years. What was it like when things were the toughest and, and what kept you going? You know, London is a, is, a, is a city that is very rough to be in when you're trying to become something because everyone there wants to be something and people go there to achieve something and they want to build a career. And I came there very young and I didn't know anybody and I was very lonely and also you know as probably everyone else I had no idea how to uh, start with my music career I didn't know anyone I didn't know where to go or how to make my first release or whatever so the hardest thing I think was to literally just keep going and to not give up because the easiest thing would have been to just say this is too hard I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go home but um what kept me going was probably this I just when I found music I just believed in it so much and I have never found anything that makes me feel so belonged and so safe and so I think I just never had an alternative it was always I knew I wanted to be a songwriter so I think that's what kept me going and honestly I'm very grateful for those tough days in London because they they built my strength and um, I think you need you need some some challenges early on so that you can build that strength. Did you find any of it as a source of creative inspiration for you? Uh, does does that experience find its way into some of the songs you've written? Oh, definitely. I, I think probably when you're right in the middle of your toughest day, the last thing you want to do is sit down and write a song. But you, I realize I'm still writing about that year. I'm still writing about the lessons I learned back then. And these things will be with you forever. And you're definitely gonna use that as inspiration in your music and in everything else you do, I think. So why London specifically? Did you find that um, where, you know, Sweden was not sort of where, where you needed to be to get your career moving? Uh, did London sort of offer something that your hometown didn't? Yeah, so Sweden is, is very small. And uh, especially Gothenburg, where I'm from, there are maybe two venues where I maybe could play and just force all my friends to come. But <laughs> it's very hard to, to try kind of build a fan base in Sweden. Um, and London is still, you know, the kind of the musical capital in Europe, I would say. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of the obvious choice because I didn't know anybody. So I didn't have a network. And I just knew that if I go to London, at least I can start uh, going to open mics and I can maybe meet other musicians and songwriters because London is the place where um, musicians and songwriters from all over the world go there to to just try to make it. I think it's, you know, in America, there is L.A. and New York, but in Europe, London is that kind of hub. So yeah, it was it was all I knew really. So I just kind of went. 
Yeah, it's a familiar story that we hear from a lot of artists on this podcast who, when they go to a bigger city to get their career started, and often they are in your situation where they don't start with very much when they get there. How did you sort of take those first networking steps? How did you get integrated into this new community when you didn't know anybody? So the first night that I was in London, I took my guitar and I went to an open mic night that I just, you know, in London, there are pubs and with open mics everywhere. Literally every, every second door is an open mic. And so I just took my guitar and asked if I could play a few songs. And I never really played live before I went there. So um, I just started hustling all these open mics and acoustic venues. And after every show, I always made it a point to kind of shake hands with people and say hi to the sound guy and say thank you for letting me play and all these things they always lead to somewhere else they might be the sound guy saying I have another night tomorrow do you want to come play and slowly slowly you meet people and uh, yeah I also put up flyers on uh, music colleges saying that I was looking for a band and so slowly I met musicians and you just try to be a little bit of everywhere and play wherever you can. And slowly I had a, a really good group of musicians that I got to play with and that actually still, these people still record on my records. So that was really amazing. That's fantastic advice on getting integrated yeah. into a music community. Just when you're playing the open mics, when you're you know playing those early gigs, a lot of artists, I think, make the mistake of thinking after they play their last note, they're done for the night. And I bet for you, it was the opposite. After you played your last note at the open mic, your work just began. Now you had to start networking and getting integrated with all the people in this community who are at that venue. Oh, yeah, of course. And I also think um, after I played those open mics in the beginning, I was such a such a beginner and such a newcomer. I didn't know anything. So I always went up to the art artists and to the sound guy, and I kind of just asked how is this working and where should I go next? And is there like an open mic that is popular or like what, what can this lead to? And everyone were so friendly and open and just wanted to help out. So I think if you show that you are excited and curious and you really want this, then people want to help you always. Awesome. Uh, in many ways, Charlotte, our podcast is a celebration of indie artists who are doing the things that you are exactly doing, taking control of your own career, being the captain of your own ship. You embody the spirit of this show very, very well. You actually have your own record label, Broken yes. Glass Records, from which you've released six projects and three full-length albums. What motivated you to start your own label rather than pursue getting signed to one? So after I had uh, been in London a bit and I had gone around England for a little while, I... Um, I got some internships at record labels and management companies, mostly because I realized I need to learn about the industry I'm trying to enter. So I just tried to educate myself as good as I, with, with everything in all kinds of areas, with management, with business, with production, with all these things. And so I did internships and I tried to just ask everyone three million questions. And slowly I realized that I had such a strong vision for what I wanted to create and what I wanted to be and how I wanted to design my life. And I was never interested in spending my time chasing a label and trying to convince them to like me. I just wanted to go straight to the people who, um, to my fan base, straight to the people who wanted to listen to what I created. And then I realized instead of spending maybe years chasing a label, 
I can just start it now, start making music and doing what I want to do right now, because you have all the tools to do that now, if you're smart about it. So I, I spent a long time just trying to educate myself. And then I started my record label and released my first EP and just started going to my fans and just started building it. And that is definitely taking the long way, but it's also what's going to keep you um, in the long run because then you have built it brick by brick by yourself and you are in control and no one can take it away from you. So that's why I started Broken Glass Records. That's awesome. And so you just spoke a little bit about what you enjoy the most about creating on your own label, having that autonomy and you know being in control of the things that you're doing. But let's see, let's look at the other side of it. What are some of the challenges that come from that? So the challenges, um, I mean, there are a lot of them. One of them is that you don't have the the kind of momentum. You don't have the name. You can't just um, write an email to Billboard and think that they're gonna care because you are. No, especially me, I don't have any connections. So if you go to a bigger label, they already have a network of, of journalists and of press people who's going to write about your releases. So um, it's definitely hard to uh, to build your own network as an indie label. Um, but if you are, you know, again, if you just put in the work, everything is possible with that too. Another challenge is obviously the the financial side of it. If it goes a major label, they have a bigger budget for marketing campaigns and for PR and for uh, just a production budget. And obviously for me, I had zero budget. So I had to go step by step, fan by fan, trying to hustle it up and just slowly build it. Um, but again, I kind of enjoy that because then I know exactly how I got to where I am and you take a little more pride in it that way, I think. No question. And um, and I think it also helps you cultivate a closer relationship with your fans than you would have otherwise had because you really have to go to them one by one and you know get them invested in your career in a way you wouldn't have if you were just signed to a major label or something like that. Oh, definitely. And I also feel like being a solo artist that I am, it can get very lonely, especially when you're on tour or you're sitting by yourself or for months, sometimes working on a record or writing songs. It gets very lonely. And since I know I have a very I have a very close relationship with my fan base, I I'm very active on social media and all these things. And it, it it's for me too for fulfillment for me, because when I know that they help me create a record I can't do it without them it feels like we are doing it together and it actually gives me a lot a, a comfort because it gets very lonely otherwise you are actually a fantastic follow on social media because you do interact with your fans and they get to they get acquainted with your writing and you know we haven't even we haven't been able to touch on what the stuff you're doing with writing because you I mean you've got so you you have books and you've written articles and that's that's a whole other interview. So, but what <laughs> where, where can people find you on social media so they can get to know you better and the things that you're creating in all different uh, forms of media? Yeah, so my website charlotteerickson.com you can find all my links to social media and everywhere. But um on Twitter I am just a glass child. Uh, same on Instagram. On Facebook, you can search for uh, The Glass Child, I think, or, yeah, facebook.com slash The Glass Child. And, uh, yeah, I think if you just Google me, I'm going to show up. (laughs) Now, I want everybody to enjoy the music that I've been enjoying all morning here in the studio. We are going to play the title track off your new EP. This is Coming Home, and uh, we're going to play it right now on the Break the Business podcast. 
was coming home the title track off the glass child's ep charlotte thank you so much for letting us play that that was fantastic thank you so much you know what i didn't know i don't know if you know this but i actually keep a list of my favorite gothenburg sweden artists and for years jens lechman was right up top but you know what now it's the glass child just boom oh yeah knock take that jens it's all you now 
<laughs> I'm honored. I love Jen. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's great. <laughs> but, um, that was so, so terrific. Uh, everybody go, go, go get it. Go give that a listen. And the rest of the EP is just as good. You're really going to love it. Charlotte, thank you so much for your time this week. Before we let you go, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Yeah, there are so many things I could say, but um, if I could go back and kind of talk to myself when I started out or when I had built it a little bit at least, I would probably say um, be sure about what you want and then forget about everything else because there are so many different ways you can build a career as an artist and there there is no right or wrong way today. There is only your way because you can literally design your life and your days and your career exactly as you want it to be so i would say before you start don't just throw yourself out there and and do anything that people tell you to do be exactly sure about this is how i want to spend my days this is where i want to be in five years and this is what i can do to get there and if you do that you're going to be so much clearer on your purpose and how you're going to spend your days and what you're going to work on and it's going to be easier for you to say no to the things that just don't match with that vision and so i would say think about exactly what you want and aim high and just go for it because you can you can design this career so that it fits you perfectly and you've done exactly that throughout your career and it's led to so much fantastic music and writing for us to enjoy that's charlotte erickson everybody Uh, she releases music under the name the glass child her ep coming home is available now check it out and check out her website charlotteerickson.com that's two t's in charlotte and two k's in erickson Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us this week. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Thank you so, so much for having me. This was fun. Oh, right here. Super fun on this side of the table as well. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Charlotte Erickson, a.k.a. The Glass Child, for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to get a copy of her latest EP, Coming Home. It is awesome. And be sure to follow her on Twitter at JustTheGlassChild. And check out that website of hers, CharlotteErickson.com. That is Erickson with two Ks. Before I let you all go this week, I have one other story I wanted to quickly bring up, there's a great article that came out on Friday in Digital Music News by Paul Reznikoff. Love the stuff he writes. Uh, It's always such insightful music industry stuff. Make sure you make him a part of your weekly reading list for things to keep yourself on track of what's going on in the music industry. And the article he wrote on Friday is called What Facebook Armageddon and YouTube Adpocalypse Taught Me About My Email List. This article provides a great lesson for artists about something we've talked about on this show a lot and something that is so very vital to your career as an indie artist. And that is the importance of maintaining your native platforms, your website and your email list. There are lots of great platforms out there to move your career forward. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, 
and anything else you can think of. You should be using these platforms, things like Reverb Nation and Bandcamp. And, you know, you don't have to use all of them, but you should certainly use some of them. They are a great supplement to the things you have going on in your music career. They're great platforms to help elevate the things you're doing, to help amplify the things you're doing. But you don't want to make any or all of these platforms the exclusive means by which you get yourself out there. Third-party platforms cannot be the center of your operation. If you are putting your career in the hands of third-party platforms, these platforms can change their policies at any time. They can change their algorithms at any time, and they can mess up everything you've built in your career in one business decision. We saw this with Vine. There were a lot of artists who made the Vine the center of their music career, making little six-second songs on Vine, and they built millions of followers on Vine, and that was kind of their home base for everything that they were doing. And then one day, Vine was gone, and poof, your millions of fans on that platform, gone. Because it, you know if you had no other place to for those fans to congregate, you just lost them all overnight. And Reznikov's article in Digital Music News talks about a couple pertinent examples of that same phenomenon happening right now. With YouTube, for example, YouTube's changing its ad policies in a way that's making it harder for some artists to get consistent ad revenue for their videos. So if you don't have any native platforms, if you're just a YouTube artist, you don't have your own email list, you don't have your own website, you're known only through YouTube, all your fans communicate with you through YouTube, and your livelihood depends on YouTube and you're on the wrong side of these changes in their ad policies, your career's gone, just like that. you got to start from zero again because you don't have a native platform. And we're seeing this also on Facebook now, as uh, Reznikov talks about in his article. Facebook is currently demoing a change to their platform in some markets, right now a lot of smaller countries, but it could be rolled out in the United States someday, that would put all of your artist content out of the general Facebook news feed and into a separate explore feed that you would have to pay to get significant appearances on. And if Facebook rolls this out on a massive scale, if they decide to bring this to the United States because they say, you know what, putting everything in the news feed, it's crowding up people's feeds, we got to separate things out. If this happens, it's going to kill your traffic because now you have to pay for the privilege of getting put into that separate explore feed. And when you put everything in the explore feed, most of the people who go on Facebook are just going to ignore the Explore feed because people really go on Facebook to talk to their friends and to catch up with their friends and to see what their friends are posting. If all of the business stuff is off somewhere else, people probably aren't going to view it. And so if you are an artist that pretty much just lives on Facebook, if your Facebook profile is effectively your website and people just know you through Facebook and that's it and you don't have your own native platforms... You could be screwed by this change. And so you want to watch out for these, but you also want to just take note of the greater lesson in all of this. And that's the fact that these kind of changes happen. Third-party platforms change their algorithms, change their policies, change their terms all the time. And if you have all your eggs in that basket, that one basket of that third-party platform, you can get your career destroyed. And the only way to keep those kind of platform changes from destroying your career is to make sure that you build out and take very good care of the two platforms 
that you can use for fan interaction that are in no way subject to the whims of third-party companies. And that is your website, and that is your email list. And I know a lot of the younger musicians out there who are Twitter addicted and Snapchat addicted, when I talk about face, when I talk about your website and your email list, it's like hearing a dinosaur talking to you. I mean, just like, you know, it's, I might as well just be an old man telling you to get off my lawn talking about, oh, your website and your email list. But this stuff's important. And ultimately, that has to be the center of your operations. Look, if you're good at Twitter, tweet everything. Be a Twitter monster. If you're good at Snapchat, go do those things. Instagram, do those things. I'm not telling you not to. But at the center of everything you do, you have to have a website. And you have to have an email list. And I know the younger people, they think email lists are silly. Email list, what is this, like the you know 1990s? Like I got to put out a, a, a you know, piece of paper at my show. Oh, you signed up on my email list. Well, actually, yeah, you should have one of those at your concert, by the way. Like it might seem old school, but email lists are important because email lists are one-to-one connections with your fans. When you post something on Facebook, that post is at the whim of Facebook's algorithm. Most of your fans that like your page will never see that post just because of the way Facebook builds it. But email goes right to that person's inbox. They're going to look at it to start their day. You are you have a much better conversion rate with email than you do with Facebook or Twitter. There have been studies on this. Email list is still by far the best way to get in touch with your fans because it's a native platform. And in the end, native platforms rule because they are not subject to the whims of third parties. All right, thank you all very much for listening. Our thanks to Charlotte Erickson, a.k.a. The Glass Child, for joining us this week, and I will see you all next time on the Break the Business Podcast. Mm-hmm.